Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely. And a world given back to us, this is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friends and colleagues, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and the Reverend Professor Jason Dale Oakland. Um, and we are here for, for maybe uh, a first, maybe this has happened before. Uh, Michael, you would have to tell me if it has. Uh, Jason is running the show today. He's All got right. the, he's got the topic. All right, let's go. Does that uh no, I don't mean by that that he's going to just do what he wants. But he <laughs> picked the topic. Is Excellent. that yeah, has he done that before? I don't think so. I think this is my I I think I've suggested a few, but I don't know if uh we've ever gone with one of those yet. So. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> I I do enjoy that process though of you suggesting. <laughs> All right. And Jason suggested for today. And I thought, uh, it's not bad. And he told me, you have to tell me if he's lying, Michael. He said he had talked to you about this before, too. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to see it sounds familiar when he when he drops it on us uh, here. Um, Let the Bird Fly this is a part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go there, check out um, all the stuff that 1517 is producing. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. You can get it through the 1517 website, 1517.org. Um, all the, the different content they are creating there as well. Check out the Faith and Reason Exchange podcast, um, which is now, uh, I believe it's a few episodes out. Am I mistaken on that? Um, and uh, that is uh, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Francisco, uh, who are exploring the challenging questions about Christianity, uh, the intersection of faith and reason. Um, they're both usually pretty darn good on that topic. So I would encourage you, if you are interested in it, to go and check that out. Um, but make sure you come back here. You come back to let the, the bird fly. If you have not uh, before, we would encourage you, just a reminder, rate, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Five stars is great. Michael sometimes says, oh, four stars. Five stars is great. Helps us with the algorithm. Uh, helps us pop up a little sooner when people are searching for us. Um, but uh, also Twitter. Or have we decided as a podcast? Are we saying Twitter or are we saying the other thing? Uh, we didn't even make a decision on Meta or Facebook. I don't know that yeah. we need to. Are we going to say X? I I say we just keep saying Twitter. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> use Twitter, so. Okay. It, yeah, it's it's one you did not when you started your social media. Um, I would say industry, uh, <laughs> you have going, um, uh, empire maybe would em- be a better word. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with You've empire. avoided that like one. That. Um, so on X or Twitter or on Facebook, our stuff pops up there. You can go ahead and share it. What's going to be our, our topic today? Um, you're going to find out. We're going to let Jason open. He's going to, when the main topic starts, I'm going to signal to him. This is going to be the signal, Jason. Gotcha. Okay. And um, he's going to read something and then explain what our topic is. And if he messes this up, no pressure, but if he messes up, he will never. <laughs> no, that's true. Ever. You'll ban him for a year. <laughs> like from doing anything or just from picking topics? Picking topics for a year. Okay. I think there should be some more possible punishments that we work in with that too, but... Well, first strike. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, Michael, would you like to give us the disclaimers? We make our way to this the show topic? doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't See how speak good he for does us. This, this is how you put we'll it be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Those sacks too. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out. Look around See me on the board and realize you were just Jason. listening to a podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. Doctrine is, so to speak, whole cloth. There is no such thing as just one doctrine that can be considered in isolation from all other doctrines. Our German fathers recognized that when many of them declined to ever recognize that whenever uh, any of them declined to use the word doctrine in the plural. For them, all doctrine was tied together in a harmonious whole. To deny anything that the Bible teaches was to harm either directly or indirectly everything else that the Bible teaches. That is sainted professor uh, Daniel Deutschlander in the preface to his book on doctrine, Grace Abounds. Uh, he's talking about the, the purpose of the book and kind of setting up uh, how he is going to approach this uh, study and discussion of uh, Christian doctrine in the pages ahead. And uh, this is a book that uh, we're reading quite a bit of um, as uh, I uh, work with the students in our doctrine course here. And as I came across that, I thought, you know, that might be an interesting topic to uh, discuss, this idea, this distinction uh, between doctrines versus doctrine. Like, what is that, uh, what is that all about? Why, why is that maybe something that we should... Uh, spend a little bit of time thinking about and and maybe some of the consequences that come from that if we're if we're not um not quite getting that right yeah I, th- there's a couple ways you could i've heard Michael, this being said i know you did saw it yeah. mess- did you see what i messaged yeah i ignored it why <laughs> did you ah okay i th- i you done <laughs> it would have been better if you had listened <laughs> uh all theology is Christology, is is a form of this. Whether you know how far you take that, uh, like spokes on a wheel. It's not like spokes on a wheel, right? Where you can just you can kind of keep going. I um, like it like yeah. pieces of a pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I think the point here is that it's not a theological, as as Wade likes to say, a theological buffet, right? Where he gets to pick and choose stuff. Uh, all things are, are going to be related. Now, that is not to say that um, you need to get 100% on the doctrine test when you get into heaven because nobody's going to. Right? Um, and there are, 
I take great comfort in the fact that there's going to be plenty of people in heaven, in fact, all of them, who probably messed up one major doctrine, at least like pretty royally. Yeah. Right. Um, you could, we can even pick on Augustine and Luther on certain things. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but, or like mispronouncing famous names, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so th- there's, there are gaps, right? That's not to say that you have to be perfect or that we are perfect, but rather we're saying it's, it's, it's all connected together. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you start pulling, you start pulling, I like to say this in apologetics with, like, uh, with somebody's world, you keep pulling that string. Which, and, oh, if we yeah. had, we got to get a license to play music. You know, a, a great song for me to play while you use this illustration would be? Yeah. Weezer. If you want yeah. to destroy, yeah. it's not copyrighted. We're singing, right? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so if you you start wow, pulling wow, that, wow. eventually oh, it's going wow, to unravel. Wow, so, wow, uh, wow, an wow, example wow, would be wow, if I if I see you as primarily through the lens of biology or chemistry, I keep pulling that string eventually. I don't see that you are going to be have any value, right? And I assume that you had value, and I assume that there, that that was just a, a given. But my worldview would not allow that, and I think that happens in doctrine as well. So you may deny the ability of God, or I should say, the promise of God to to forgive sins via the sacrament of holy baptism. But you keep pulling that string and you realize that's not really what it's about. It's probably about original sin and probably even more so about what faith is, right? And so then you realize it wasn't just a, it, it wasn't just kind of a, a, an extra thing. Oh, you know, the, the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Baptists, they all have kind of a different version of this. But in the end, it's not really a big deal. You know, maybe for the average person going around still trusting in Jesus, sure, but you keep pulling that string you start to realize that all of this is connected, right? Um, and and I think that's what 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 they're after here. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I think that idea of um, if you're if you're gonna try to if you start, you know, carving this up a little bit, like you said, the the buffet table, um, and you can kind of consider each in isolation, uh, and say you can pick and choose a little bit which ones which ones you want to put on your plate or which ones you want to leave behind. Um, which ones you maybe take a little bit of versus which ones you take a whole heaping lot of, um, you're you're ultimately um, not doing, you're not using or you're not recognizing what that's there for, right? And I think um, ultimately you're going to do harm uh, in that regard, not only to the individual pieces because, um, you know, that would certainly um, happen, but the this whole cloth that uh, has been presented in the pages of scripture uh, as a whole is going to suffer and and those things that you might think well this is so far removed from mm-hmm. this teaching is so far removed from that teaching yeah. how you can do that and get away with it well no not really it, and sometimes you might have to pull the string for a while but yeah. it'll get there and I would say that almost inevitably what gets lost is the gospel yes right and uh, another way to think about this too is we were told 
that most heresies began with an overemphasis of one truth. And so like the, the buffet thing, like that recalled to my mind when you talked about, I'd take a whole heaping, whatever mm-hmm. I can, a classic example would be the ecclesiology of the medieval church swallowed up soteriology, right? The, 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 right. who is the church and under the Pope swell and, and soteriology followed that and, and it became a heresy. Um, in our day, I'll just be honest, um, the doctrine of how we practice fellowship swallowed up, I think, uh, uh, a really healthy understanding of Holy Communion. Um, and that, that became the issue and swallowed up a lot of other things. And uh, I'm not, again, we're not saying right or wrong here, but there is, an emph- there is something about emphasis too. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like the word balance because that, that sounds like... Uh, I don't know, it just it sounds a little cheap, right? Sometimes you have sure. to go. There's also, ra- the gospel is radical. It's not some sort of middle ground like a, like a, a Greek would find within the virtues. Um, but at the same time, if you overemphasize one thing over another, it can be very difficult, or you see everything through certain lenses. So we do that, and, and we're proud of that. We see everything through a lens of law and gospel, uh, see the thing uh, through through the lens of, of, of Christ, but I think you have these different lenses, and let's admit it, um, but you, you have to have multiple lenses. Uh, this is a funny way to say it, but I, I got to be careful that I don't try to shoehorn everything into law and gospel where I lose Christology or something like that, right? So it is it is kind of a balance, and, and I think what, what we're after here is that you can't just go down one little thing. Um, you have to. You have to see how everything is connected, right? Yeah. So let's say, if I can tell a story to illustrate this. Sure. Okay. Let's say we just had graduation season. So let's say I'm a high schooler and I'm going to all my friends' different graduation parties. Let's say my name is Jonas, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, like it's the holiday, July Fourth. There's a bunch of graduation parties that just happens. Over that holiday weekend, I, I go to my, my friend's house, um, and he uh, he's a big surfer. He's got, you know, a, mm-hmm. like a nice waxed-up Surf America mm-hmm. surfboard um, in the garage. Mm-hmm. So I go in the garage for food, and, and there's some, some Buddy Holly playing, mm-hmm. which is something that really it doesn't help in, happen in everyday life for me that often, often, though it does happen only in my, my dreams. Mm-hmm. And I realize... Um, that out of all this buffet, right, uh, people are, are only taking certain things, so they're running out of that, and there's abundance of, of, of other stuff. And, and so the thing I wanted is no longer there. there. So I, I, I feel like the, the world has turned and left me here. Um, I'm undone, and I really wish I could say it ain't so. But that's... Uh, that's where I'm at. Is this all happening in Beverly Hills? I was only doing the Blue Album. Well, <laughs> I was just curious. I, I just did the whole Blue Album. I know, I know. Very good. It was, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good, yeah. right? All right, but okay, anyways, good. to use that we're at a graduation party, <laughs> and you go and, and you know, you, what, what do you do? You put on a nice spread, huh? right? And uh, people can go, and, and they, can, they can pick and choose. And, uh, and that works well, because not everybody likes everything. That you graduate, maybe mom made all the food for your party, right? And she uh, she set it out, and she's not upset that people are 
you know, taking what they like. But but if you've seen moms, maybe sometimes they're looking and they go, does no one like the chicken? Why is there so much mm. chicken left? Or uh, what what's wrong with the deviled eggs? <laughs> well, mom's going to live with that. And that's what you do at a party. It's set out. Everybody kind of takes what they want. But maybe our experience of dinner with mom or dad was very different on like a normal Wednesday. And you were like, for the eighth day in a row, I want chicken nuggets. And I don't know if you guys ever had, but sometimes mom said, you'll have what I'm making. (laughs) Right? And I remember once, uh, my brother didn't want to eat what had been made. And my dad just sitting with him until it was finished. And this went on late into the night. This was like a standoff Mm. about what are you going to have. Well, God, in in essence, is like mom with Wednesday dinner, but it's not just because mom worked hard and she made dinner and just appreciated and eat it and stop being a pain. But the it's it's kind of like uh, when you're having a nice fancy meal, like when we Jason were in Italy, sure, and there's just things that you're supposed to eat together or you're not doing it right. Right. Yeah. Jesus, I would say, is kind of like that. Let's say Italian waiter. It was like, no, you're not doing it right if you do this. Or, like, the shock and horror if you were to, like, put ketchup on something. Yeah. Um, And so Jesus actually addresses this in John chapter 5, where where he commends the the zeal um, that some of his opponents had for the scriptures. Right? He says, you're reading the Bible all the time. Right, you're 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 even reading it for the right reason. You think you'll have life by it, like you get that there's life in there. Um, but as you've now parsed it in out into all these little things to explore, and extrapolate and create new laws out of, or or nail down, you know, teachings and traditions, you're missing the point of the the book. Um, and he says that that is Jason. Testify about me. Right? Yeah, this is the, it's, about it's about Jesus. And I think what can the challenge when we encounter the scriptures, Michael, I, I like what you said about we don't necessarily just necessarily want to be balanced um, because the scriptures, if we're honest, are not balanced. It's not like um, each book is like the authors is, okay, we're going to balance this thing out or the next book's like, okay, now I got to make up for this one. They... A lot of the books just go hard on something. Um, or they love to just use narrative. And uh, that can be frustrating in a, a time uh, when really kind of with the birth of Protestantism and then kind of, um, you know, higher critical stuff and uh, post-enlightenment and rationalism, you have the emergence of systematic theology that isn't what, what, what we call systematic theology was ever meant to be. It, it was meant to be teaching theology. Like here's the teachings of the scriptures that we're going to give you. And in many ways, systematic theology began to protect from the Bible uh, because you never knew what you were going to get when you went into the Bible because the Bible mm-hmm. isn't balanced. It was maybe just going to hit you between the eyes. Um, but the Bible becomes somewhat safe somewhat navigable uh, when I, I break it up into certain topics or just I collect certain passages. And, and this is um, 
both the strength and weakness of someone like a Philip Melanchthon or a Johann Gerhardt, Quenstadt, you know, Kalov, um, Chemnitz to a degree, although I think Chemnitz navigates this a little bit better. Well, and there is something subjective, right, to the nature of systematics because mm-hmm. someone is imposing a system, right, right, which on, and, and I which love, is not bad. I love the fifteen twenty twenty one yeah. load seat. Don't yep. get me wrong, but that's what he has to do, and he uses Romans as his guide. But, but even even that in, idea of strengths and weaknesses right. depends on sometimes, who you know how you're doing, right. That, right? And so Luther praises it, but Luther also praises it because Melanchthon's fifteen twenty one Melanchthon is doing it in a, a very Luther mm-hmm. way compared to how he does it later. Uh, but this, you notice when that trend happens, um, sometimes uh, we get to, as, as Michael talked about, emphases. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, rather than encountering the text and the, and the text interpreting me, uh, if I can be a step removed and make the Bible just a collection of doctrines, I can kind of shield myself. I can step over it, too. Yeah. yeah. And I can also find my niche. And as with anything, when you specialize in something, part of specialization is you're excluding yourself from other things. And and this is a temptation in, in Christian academia, right? We're going to have Mike. Mike's going to do vocation or baptismal life. Wade's going to do... You know, flacious and and we tend to see everything through those lens, and right. we find it everywhere, which is part of the beauty of academia, which but, is super helpful. Yeah, but also is a can be a problem. There's going to be and things that that we will have. Every age has blind spots, and um, we will have blind spots of what we've done and good things that have come out of it. You didn't set me up to do Jason's thing. I had a. I was going to sure. do. Some, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I do think that's. I'm a guy who likes doctrine, don't get me wrong. But this, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's no place for systematics either. It's, but, it's necessary. It is, right? yeah, yeah. But it, it just, Protestant systematics, as it develops after, like, the age of orthodoxy, okay? Some people would also fault the age of orthodoxy for this, but I, we'd like to blame too much on, on the age of orthodoxy sometimes, I think. But as it develops, especially after... Um, and even with kind of the rise of having to have a doctrine of Scripture, and, and I don't take this the wrong way. I don't want to, not, mm-hmm. not attacking the inspiration of Scripture or whatever else. But in order to have a doctrine of Scripture, what do I have to do? I have to kind of remove myself one step from the Scriptures. And now, right, I'm going to, and we had to do this because of... Much of it's uh, reactionary. Right. We had to do this because we felt like the culture or... Critical, you know, whatever the academic, the elite, or you pick your group was attacking the scriptures, and so like Protestantism then comes up with, well, what is this? I'm one step removed still. So scripture, of course, is inspired, um, but it it's inspired precisely to hit me between the eyes um, as I go at it, and I think this was something that was always helpful in Professor Deutschlander's uh, classes. And in his office, um, if you found your way in there, or in his preaching, um, was he did teach doctrinal courses. In fact, the best course I ever had was what we called dummy doctrine with him, because I was a public school kid who would come in and kind of had to get, I've been Lutheran for like six months, so I had to kind of get caught up. Um, 
but that was it was definitely doctrine. We covered a lot of doctrines, but we we never we never were. It was everything was uh, sen, what is it centripetal. We were pulled into Christ, right? Christ is these are they that testify about me, yeah. not centrifugal, where we kind of okay we start with Christ, but then things kind of go their own way. And soteriology, ecclesiology, Christology, these can exist, you know, kind of abstractly apart from each other. He was always very clear. None of they they all become something other than what God would have them be when when they're when they're not right pulled yeah. into Christ. They tie tie back to the gospel, especially as the gospel is applied to sinners, right? Which is Christ. I, I think the other thing that you've kind of hit on, and Mike was talking about earlier, that idea of sometimes that um, specialization or that overemphasis in a certain thing comes about uh, not just, you were kind of talking about how the scriptures are uneven at places, but sometimes it's, you know, forced upon us by the circumstances that we're in, right? Um, you mentioned fellowship it wasn't that someone in the 50s or whatever just the 1950s said you know i think we just need to spend a ton of time hammering on this thing it was the circumstance of of you know trying to uh work through this um divide with missouri that was going on right or the the script you mentioned the scriptures um it was because the scriptures had come under attack right and and you know oftentimes that maybe leads to a renewed study and digging into the, those areas, but that can then lead to an overemphasis. And I think maybe not necessarily at the exact point of controversy, but it's usually maybe the, the generation that follows where this has, there's been so much that was done with this. We also need to, to focus on this and then it maybe gets, um, the, the overemphasis, or it's taken as this was a, this is a settled thing without the nuance that the, yeah. the generation that fought for it was was yeah. dealing with. I, I think, and that I think is a big thing in church history, yeah. of and we see this with the Reformation, but we we see this with with every age, kind of like the you have the necessary thing that happens, and then the next generation systematizes it, um, and it becomes. Uh, Again, one step removed. But now we, and because that's that's the fight your fathers fought, it means a lot to you. It was the stories you heard. Um, it also then takes a, a pride of place. Um, and, a, and maybe even a proof of proof of your own orthodoxy. Right. right. right? I, I think I can, I can see that even in my own personal lifetime. And I mean, personally, as in my own thoughts, that, okay, I worked through something and there was a light bulb moment and then it becomes a phrase in my, in, my, in my mind. And I know I did the work, but the further I'm away from that struggle and that work, I find myself being not very nuanced with that as I speak. I'm not speaking clearly because I, I haven't, I'm not thinking clearly because I, I took that, I took a shortcut yeah. In my mind. And with time you systematized yep. it to these phrases and terms that you can, yeah. Right. And I, I know I'm right and I can back it up. I just have lost the nuance a little bit. Um, even with scriptures, like I, I, you know, you preach on a text and you pull something out and that becomes, and it was, it was a fine sermon and a fine point, 
but then the way, especially in our context where we're teaching the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and you're like, I want you to point, you never thought about this with the story of the widow at Nain or whatever, but here it is. And then all of a sudden I realize uh, I've made that the main point. And, and part of the reason is I haven't been back to the actual reading of mm -hmm. that, uh, that story. You know, f I, I say it more than I actually read it, right? Yep. Um, because that's just the nature of the job. And so uh, to force yourself back into those texts is a, is a big deal because those texts, right, aren't systematized. They just aren't, right? Right. Paul, Paul's building an argument in Romans, but he's not systematizing right. stuff. It's, it's, it's doctrinal or dogmatic more than systematic. Like, yeah, in, in the sense of I'm trying to, in this, this, this is often said as a negative term. We've talked about this before, but indoctrinate you. Like I'm going right. to, yep. or f better yet, form you, right? Um, instead of instead of a very modern way, which is you learn the doctrine so you can you can pass the test. And, and systematized has, has a negative connotation because like, let me take every passage of the Bible and put it into a category. Well, that that doesn't, that's putting too much on the term systematics, right? Systematics, it's necessary. It's helpful. It's a shortcut in a certain, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, it can take on too much though, if, if you're trying to pull things out of context too much and put these, it's, it's Bible passaging people to death as we yeah. talk about, right? I now. would say for, for much of my life, I got 20 Bible passages on my side. You have 10. So I win. Yeah. <laughs> and even like quantifying the value of each passage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for much of my life, and especially early in my ministry, I, I always enjoyed like quote books, you know, books of quotations. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get like that one quote that you can use for teaching. And, and so, mm -hmm. um, with time, though, I started to, to, to say to myself, like, maybe you should actually read the work. Yeah. Like, well, what? how did the quote come from? Is it being rightly used? Now in the age of the Internet, how depressing it is, isn't it, when often we see these quotes and then you actually search a little bit and you're like oh they yeah they probably didn't actually say that um or it was racist yeah it turns out it's in some <laughs> terrible context but uh but that there's a real disservice we're doing to the scriptures when we parse it up into those things and and divorce the uh, these passages and quotes from from what they're intended to do again there's a place for proof passaging but but here protestantism uh from I would say at least its second generation on has had a real temptation just to fall back on this. It's modern. It's yeah. the mo we, I keep saying this. Mm. America and Protestantism is largely grew up and have only known the modern period. And uh, it's, I think, more and more like when we roll our eyes at our, our fathers, which we all do, as we respect them, but sometimes we roll your eyes, as our children will roll, roll mm. their eyes oh. at us. Already do. Already do, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, and I think more and more it's like they were modern. They were modern. Good, bad, and ugly. They were modern. And the way that you look at words, right, which is kind of a similar thing here, that I, like instead of the word being the power that saves and that, that creates out of nothing, it's something I move around. I move this passage into this category and move this. I'm over it. Right. And I'm teaching it as a thing that is static and dead when the scriptures itself can, can uh, continually tell me 
that it's powerful and alive and a double-edged sword, right? right? And the fact that I'm moving it around with very little concern for the damage I could do to people when I pull things out of context. And removing yourself, as you noted, Mike, from the text, because now I'm predominantly telling the passage rather than... I'm above it. Yeah. I'm above it, excuse me. I'm above it rather than it, it reading me. I'm reading it, and, and I'm treating it as a thing. And and as we look at our current context and, and, and the issue, whether people know it or not, is words, the power of words. Can they have meanings? Can I? Are they only used for power? Can I make up my own words to, to create meaning for myself? Is it definition or use that matters? All yeah. of that kind of stuff. And um, I, I find it a very exciting time if it, equally frustrating um and i look at the criticisms and sometimes i go yeah at least they understand that when words go out they do something mm -hmm. and maybe not always what the author intended now i'm not going to go so far as to say that there is no author right right and by, by the way this is this is ramifications not just in culture but in uh in in legal studies in a very real way yeah. constitutional studies, um, but also the studies of, of scripture. And more and more, I mean, we, you know, if you, instead of using the word theology, we'll use the word doctrine. Doctrine is supposed to be preached because it does something. Yeah, and maybe we can hit on that. Um, so the word... Literature, pop culture, too. I mean, there are all oh, sorts yeah. of... Yeah. yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. I, no, sorry that's fine. Interrupt. So the word doctrine, it means teaching, right? This is... Um, and maybe if we can connect that a bit, that's helpful here. Uh, doctrine doesn't mean simply data. Mm -hmm. I think there's an important distinction of that. Mm -hmm. So who who taught doctrine? Well, the church had doctors to teach doctrine. Because doctor means teacher. Right. Now, doctor eventually with the rise Not of... BMW the, driver. Right. <laughs> the um, doctor eventually with the rise of medieval universities... This becomes an academic degree. You know, um, we get to our own day where there's highly specialized, you know, PhDs, THDs, MDs, JDs. Um, and, uh, but most people in our day think doctor. They think um, a medical doctor. But uh, the church, before there were even THDs or PhDs, had doctors, mm -hmm. right? Teachers of the church. St. Augustine um, was a very learned man. He studied under very learned people, but he didn't have credentials in the modern sense um but they they taught um now mothers and fathers were doctors in the home hopefully and bishops in the home yeah bishops and apostles luther says teaching the faith but it the the teaching it's talking about when we're talking about doctrine is not simply data and here i think maybe protestantism and specifically lutheran protestantism did itself a bit of a disservice with what happened when the catechism, by necessity, found its way into the church and out of the household mm -hmm. because it wasn't being taught. And so the church thought, well, we have to do it. But then the church did what the church is always tempted to do, and I'm always tempted to do. It just kept expanding. Um, and so you have this, this catechism that's supposed to be short and sweet that Luther gives that, that we're supposed to be able to pray, right, and memorize. And if you look at... Um, what's happened to the catechism text that we, we give to our young people um, when they're going through class is we have just expanded, 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 and proof-passaged, and proof-passaged, and proof-passaged. 
And I'm not saying I know a better way necessarily to do it. But I am saying I can sympathize when our students start to treat the Bible and catechism like textbooks and, and teachings like data. Um, and this is where I'll joke with students about not having grown up in Lutheranism. You know, I was spared some things. I never had to learn the names of all the kings of Israel like some <laughs> kids did. I never even had to learn all the books of the Bible. I just bought one with a table of contents. Um, like I didn't have to learn them in order, you know. I never sang the like... Um, Noah had an arky arky song. <laughs> uh, I've never been to Camp Philip. I'd play the Come to the Wells if I had it cued there. Uh, but imagine, I'll, I'll tell the students, imagine going to hell but knowing all the names of the kings of Israel. Like, think of the, the, all the data we can give but then miss the, the key point. And it's not because I would hope no pastor in our circles is teaching the catechism and not talking about Jesus. But he can get lost in the data. Oh, sure. And so what, when you hear people who have fallen away from church or maybe they're just not going that much, uh, two of the things you'll hear people say is, I know all that. They know the data. Um, or I, I just don't need all the rules. They'll react to, like, the, the morality. Yeah. Um, and seldom which, will they be like, oh, Jesus, I really have an issue with. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're reacting against what we would call bad religion. Like, and what they want is they don't want the rules. They don't, they want exactly what the Christian church is giving them. That's a free conscience. They don't want the religious rules on right. their conscience. And so the morality, um, the, uh, the, the facts, the data, when it gets detached as being teaching and just becomes these other things, um, what does the morality come? Well, it becomes just rules. Well, God didn't give Israel 10 rules. God gave them 10 words. It's right. Um, this uh, the, and I think this um is something. And I, I'm not saying throw out your whatever color. Our new catechism is, the old one was was blue. It's a dark blue now. Um, yep. but I am saying like, somebody needs to bring back. CPH was doing it for a while, but I don't know if they sell them anymore. Just a little thin paper printed small catechism. Tom Jeske. or get Tom Jeskies. Yeah, it's just a little, get it through the MLC bookstore. Um, but. Like, there's everybody, every catechism student should have that to every member of a church. And why? Because what does Luther do so masterfully in the small catechism? It's, if I'm, hopefully I'm using these words again, right? It's centripetal, right? It's not, he doesn't, while he has to, like, for pedagogical reasons, the creed's going to have three articles. None of those articles get away from doctrine and just become doctrines. Definitely not with the sacraments, and and I think that would be very helpful. So the, the, I use that analogy too in, in worship too. That the worship service at its best is to pull you into this Christ, spe- specifically a death and resurrection with Christ. And so these words are preached; they have power; they do something. Um, it's not just a head knowledge thing; it actually kills and makes alive, right? And I think again. This is an example of the modern period and and crunching the data and atomizing things down there. So, like, you would, you know, I'm going to take a a test to find out, you know, my personality, uh, my ability to do this. I'm going to have, like, units to see how, um, you know, efficient I am at my job, you know, that kind of stuff, a point system or whatever. 
and you stop treating people as like actual people and you lose the tangibles and that kind of stuff. But you also, um, you don't really see, it, it's just, it's a very robotic, do this, here's the solution kind of thing. It's very middle manager kind of thing. Instead of these are stories that have power, right? And, and no, no revolution started with data. At least not any good ones. Started mm-hmm. with stories, the good and the bad ones, right? Um, and I, I just, it, it's a very modern, late modern thing. And, and it's not, oh, computer and technology. Computer and technology are gasoline on the fire. And uh, it was a atomizing, bringing everything down to trying to understand everything, right? Yeah. And there's an arrogance there with humanism that we can look over humanity, we can look over nature and we can dissect it and look at it as if we were the ones looking down upon nature instead of the nature Again, itself. we're completely removed. We, th- we think we can be one step. And I would say it's not just the, the moderns, but just as Christianity today has to com- combat this, um, the early church had to do it with Greek thought, right? This is... Pla- um, specifically Platonic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kierkegaard, where he's super good is where he's just taking it to the Greeks and this notion that that sin is just a product of ignorance. Like, if we just yeah. give people the right facts, they'll behave better. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, the, the problem is we do know better. It's, it's, it's the will. More knowledge is the solution is we still live with that. And, and, but what we love to do is we divide everything up. So we're going to take faith and say faith, well, it's knowledge and it's assent and it's trust. And the human being is a body and a soul and a spirit or whatever else. Or a head and a heart. And, and why do we do that? Well, we divide it up because now we're going to deal with just this thing. It's, it's why um, it's so easy to lose sight of the simul because we're going to take that simul and now I'm going to deal with the sinner and now I'm going to deal with the saint. And these are all necessary things, yeah. but you get to the point of, of promise and gospel yeah. rather than I have I figured out the anthropology yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's why so many of the early church heresies were Christological Oh, well, Christ is God and man. Okay, so let's take that apart and analyze each, and, and you lose sight of Christ as the whole person, you lose sight of the Christian as the whole person, um, and you end up with a bunch of doctrines, and you end up with heresies because you were trying to go beyond what, what, has, uh, what has been said. All right, I'll stop. Should we give Jason a it's little wrap-up word here? It's his show. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, I think this topic worked out great. I think this has been a phenomenal discussion. Should give a, give a, what do you got next for us? Yeah, see, the, the, um, yeah, it might take me a while because I think what I'm about to. How about this? How about this? I I want to I want to on this on record. I, this this came from the Outlaw God podcast, but um, and I use this in Christ and and cult in uh, in the Old Testament today. I didn't plan it, but I, I I began the class like, let's vote on who's the most important character in the Old Testament. Oops. And they made a point that Paul thinks it's Abraham. Rather than Moses, because he's huh. okay. Very right. appalling thing that he emphasizes. He yeah. keeps going back to Abraham as his example, right? In Romans and Galatians. So, but the answer is Jesus, though, right? Uh, well, I said you can't say Jesus. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, the pre-incarnate Christ. So, can you say that? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we did talk about the pre-incarnate Christ today, but so the the nominees were I put Adam and Eve together, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. And Moses won, predictably. But second place was David. Oh. Yeah. And so then I'm like, I'm now going to tell you the correct answer, and it was Abraham. 
Hmm. But that yeah. would be a fun, like, when we look at the Old Testament, what's the biggest event, most important event, what's the most important person, maybe would reflect your theology. I think they're in a fair yeah. amount, yeah. It'd be a good one. I'll let Jason decide because he's in charge. Yeah, I was I was curious what what was their rationale for David that, that in their minds as, as far as what they were thinking. Um, one person said like just the vast amount of stories and the Psalms oh, yeah. and uh, characters. Psalms is a good uh, point. You know, yeah. So, um, but you could tell like that's a very David kills a giant. Yeah, yeah. David's a yeah. very individual, personal story of all of them. Right. right, not in a bad way, which is something we talk about. Here's another topic, like the group versus the individual, right? Hyper-individualism of the late modern American period, the hyper-community group of of some of the ancient world, and yet we're trying to like, we're fumbling that as we're trying to figure that out with identity po- politics and, uh, you know, the... the gross individualism how do you figure that out and if there's a third way that the bible's pretty unique i would imagine in the ancient text of not letting the group swallow up the identity you have personal faith you have personal stories like david and yet it's always within a group the church Mm -hmm. or israel or whatever and the group nurturing the individual but not to let the individual go, I think that'd be a good topic. Well, and David says yeah, have group like consequences. Yeah. yeah, right. That that that's something we don't re- realize, and and we still have to do one on collective guilt too. Yeah, that's yeah. This because is I, I get a big kick out of when Christians deny collective guilt, right. but have teach the doctrine of original sin. Right, <laughs> and and I think that that's an issue too in our politics today. That just the inability to say that there could be, there could be something that is a a group sin that affects a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? And that throughout, especially people who love to quote the Old Testament when it comes to morality, don't use the we a lot there when the Old Testament is very much about collective guilt and collective kind justice. Kind of like being a, a sports fan. Um, I've always tried to avoid using we a lot <laughs> when I'm talking about like a sports team yeah. that I'm not on, which right. is the overwhelming majority of them. Um, but there's times I just can't help it. But it's it's almost always like they stink. Mm-hmm. But like when we beat the Chiefs, it's like oh, this is our year. Yeah. And I guess the hour maybe could include Some me as a fan, fan but yeah. um, but even we beat the Chiefs. Yeah, you didn't do anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it, we can just do that very selectively. Yeah. You're, that's a good point. We do that selectively, and that that's a huge blind spot. I would say for the Protestant world especially because the Old Testament laws and advice, uh, uh, instead of seeing it as promise, right, uh, this Old Testament advice and these, and, these, and these stories of inspiration are just so attractive to a, a late modern person, I think. So, I, yeah. And I think what ties in with that is it's, again, a way of us removing ourselves from something. Right, this very kind of like, I'm going to be... I can be this tabula rasa. I'm going to be this objective observer. I'm going to remove myself from this thing, and then I can really understand it, which becomes really convenient when removing myself guards me from. In the there's a really good book on um, early monks, the desert fathers, and uh, how they would like externalize this fighting with demons so that it wasn't Mm -hmm. actually like so much wrestling with their sin as like putting this thing out there, and then they could consider it. Um, Not that it's wrong. I mean, demons do things. But it, it, but it, it could become 
something other. It started as like, oh, I'm personally examining myself, but then it could become this kind of, you know, object of inquiry rather than this. And and there's just certain things, and maybe this is an episode sometimes, certain things the Christian doesn't get to be removed from. You let yourself off of the hook, but you also left God off the hook because it's, right. he's not doing it to you. And Or like I look at David and I get to pick and choose like, I want to be the David and Goliath, or I want to be the David. Yeah. But when reality, I'm, I'm the David with Bathsheba. Or we look at the mm-hmm. Good Samaritan, and it's like, oh, who is the neighbor of the man? And it's like, now let's write a book on, you know, the topic of neighbor, and I'm going to remove myself when Jesus' whole point is like, look at all the neighbors you're passing by. Like, <laughs> you're a real bleep, Yeah. you know? <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys got a teacher or whatever, but it's 1228. Yeah. You guys better go. Okay, well, Jason. Yes. I don't say this often. And I don't say it lately. And it pains me a little bit to say it. <laughs> I can tell. I can um, tell. But I will say it. That wasn't too bad. Job well done. Yeah. It was well, okay. Thank you. You, I, you really do look stupid in that sweatshirt. <laughs> no, it's nice. I don't like yeah. the flying W. I'm, I'm for our. Uh, for our listeners who are listening on our every private conversation yeah. right now, <laughs> I'm wearing a Wisconsin Badger hoodie. I have a, a child who goes there. I would I would um, suggest so that, I'm supporting my child. I would suggest that the Flying W is the worst uh, of all the Big Ten. I, I think it's cheap. I could have worn my other kids' school's hoodie today, but I felt it was not the time. <laughs> I, res- <laughs> I respect their logos, though. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. not their morality. <laughs> right. I'm just glad he wasn't buying anybody hammered. <laughs> Get me down.